This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We're here today with Charlene Yi, author of the new book, The Engaged Leader. Charlene, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Now, your book is titled, again, your book is titled The Engaged Leader, and it was when I was talking to this about this with one of my colleagues, he asked, you know, how can someone be a leader and not be engaged? And so I think this is probably, though, one of the crux of the argument that you're talking about is that it really is possible, but you might not be aware. So can you tell me to you what is the difference between the two? Well, I think being an engaged leader is the epitome of what leadership means. You can't be a leader in isolation. And yet today, so many leaders are absent, completely absent, from the digital and social channels where their customers' employees are. They're not engaged at all. And they, they sort of feel like they need to be, but they don't really want to be. They don't know how to do it. They're terrified of it. So they, they're just not there. And I think it's time for them to actually figure out how to do this, why to do it, and how to be successful at it. And, and that's why I wrote the book. Right. And now you, in the introduction to your book, you actually use the CEO of IBM as an example who has chosen very, really very thoughtfully about which digital platforms are going to give her the most business value, which ones she needs to be on. And so I was wondering, I mean, how can a leader perform that kind of self-inventory and maybe make that distinction between what is strategically valuable and maybe what they are comfortable with? Because I feel like it's very easy sometimes for us to say, well, that's not important, but what we actually mean is I'm not very comfortable with that and I don't want to do it. It's an honest dialogue you have to have with yourself, which is to say, am I choosing not to be there because it's not strategically important? Or am I not being there because just by default I haven't taken the time to really look at it and think about it? In the case of Ginny Robbity, she has a Twitter account, has never tweeted on it. But they keep it open so that she and her team can see what people are including her in the conversation. So she is using it to listen to what people are saying to her. Then she uses that information to share content and to engage, but primarily with people internally uh, through videos that she creates, the conversations that those videos stir, and in the forums and the jam sessions throughout the company. She goes out and engages very strategically to achieve her goal, which is to turn around IBM, make it more innovative. What could be more important at this point? And so she looked at Twitter and goes, it's important to be there to listen, but that's all I'm going to use it for. So it's really not just about, like, what platforms am I, not, am I going to use or am I not going to use, but also about what's there and how am I going to use it. And why. More importantly, why am I using this? It, and it needs to be, again, not just because it's important to be there, but to achieve a strategic goal and that's the difference between being a leader using these tools and just being on them um, as a person. So many of these leaders use these channels personally, but they're a bit of a loss of how to use it at work, how to use it to accomplish the leadership objectives. And again, I think it goes back to what your goals are. So in the book, we start immediately with what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve as a leader, and how would you measure it? And then everything falls down from those objectives. And now you also, I found it really interesting that you mentioned middle managers as one group who's maybe kind of fighting this shift because they're no longer the first lines of communication between top leaders in the rank of value, just because it's so easy these days for even really top leaders to reach out 
to customers or employees to reach out to a CEO they might never have met. And so I'm wondering, I guess, you know, because middle managers really are probably the engaged top leaders of tomorrow, that what would your advice be to these people? I mean, how do you work within all of these massive changes that are going on to really carve out a role for yourself no matter what level of a company you're at? That's a great question because they oftentimes feel like they're caught in the middle. In the past, they had the power because they controlled what information flowed up and what decisions got passed down. Now there's direct communications. So what's my role as a manager in between? Babysitting people? What, what do I do? And I think they have to redefine their roles as from being gatekeepers to facilitators, people who can facilitate the flow of all of this information. And the fact that they can be more networked, they can be more engaged throughout the organization, not just with their team, really gives them the new source of power and influence. They're at the crux of this place where leadership is being divorced from your title. And it's really becoming more about who will follow you and your leadership and your ideas, the stories you tell, the engagement that you choose to have to, again, accomplish not just your goals, but the company's goals. Right. Because, I mean, people aren't, they're not sort of navigating towards a title. They're navigating towards a person and how a person makes them feel. Right. And I think that goes back to the relationship. All leadership is, is a relationship between people who aspire to lead and those who are inspired to follow. And that doesn't come from your position anymore. It doesn't come from your title or direct management responsibilities or budgets. In this world where work is done across silos and across different levels of the organization, that leadership becomes even more important. Right. Now, if you're a leader and you're not, I mean, part of this is that a lot of these platforms are digital platforms. A lot of this requires some knowledge of technology. So if you're a leader who is not tech savvy, I mean, how do you dive in? Like you make the point in the book that, you know, this shouldn't, this whole process should not be the job of just the millennials on your team or the tech guys on your team or the tech savvy on your team. So, but if you're a leader, how do you take advantage of this, these people's knowledge and their expertise and their experience without making it sort of their job or that thing that they do? Well, I look at the technology and the technologies themselves are usually a form. And I'd like to say that if you can shop, you can tweet. And it's more the thought of the art of this than the science of this. What will you say? When will you engage? What are the stories you will tell? That's the art of leadership. And what leaders know how to do is how to lead. Now, for whatever reason, when they are faced with a new technology, all sense and confidence that they know how to lead goes out the window because they don't think they know what to do with these technologies. There are some basic rules and etiquettes around the technologies, but I have found that it's so much easier to teach a leader how to use these technologies to be a leader than it is to teach a millennial who knows how to use these technologies to lead. They don't know how to lead in life, let alone in these channels. And it's, a, it's really, again, putting that confidence back in the hands of these leaders to say, you know what you want to accomplish. What you need to get from these people is like, this is the story I want to tell. What's the best way to tell that story? So this is the outcome I want. What's the channel and tools and the ways and the language that I have to use to develop that in these channels? 
Now, one of the things that I, I mean, I wonder if part of it is that, you know, people are often these days because of Twitter, because of Facebook. I mean, a lot of these technologies are really facilitating that this communication happens very quickly, that so that a leader has to respond almost immediately or they can if they want to. And I wonder if that makes people a bit gun shy because they just don't have maybe the time to think or process that we did 10, 15, 20 years ago. And so I wonder, I mean, when leaders are called on to immediately read an audience that they may, may, that may, they ne- they may never see or even meet, how do they do that and still be authentic? I mean, how do they kind of keep in mind how to strike that balance between being authentic but sort of being appropriate? Well, let's talk about authenticity first, and then we'll talk about speed. Authenticity is not something that comes naturally to people, if you think about it. And, and it's because there's a sense of vulnerability, a level of trust and truth-telling and openness you have to have confidence in that relationship to open up in that way. And if you're not confident in how you're expressing yourself or what kind of relationship you're building with people in these channels, to just walk into it and immediately expect that you can be authentic is kind of a hard thing to do. What I, as a starting point, I ask leaders, again, to listen. And that begins to give you an idea what people want to hear. And then start with the stories that they need to hear to inspire the action that you want that you are both aligned to want to achieve. And I find that stories are a great starting point because everybody loves a story. And stories told from your point of view, from your perspective, towards a, a particular end that is shared, will get listened to. It's unique. It's, it's from your perspective. It's authentic in that way. So I like to say, yeah, sure, nobody wants to know what you have for lunch, right? That's not very interesting. But they would like to hear what you talked about over lunch. What's important to you? Give me a story of how you, you talked to an employee or to a customer or to a partner, and that made you think about how much more aligned we are against our purpose and mission. That's what they need to hear from you, and that's absolutely authentic. Mm-hmm. And then what about the speed? How does the speed fit in? Well, there's a sense that because everything is happening in real time, you have to operate in real time, and to some extent you do, but I think we overestimate how quickly we have to respond. Unless you're in a crisis situation, you can pick and choose when and how you want to engage. And I think it's very important because you can in no way respond to everything that's out there. This is not email. This is not action being required from, from you as a leader across everything. And, in fact, I think you should be very planful and intentional about the things you engage with. Because that shows what's really important to you and what you think is important for the organization to focus on. Well, I mean, I would think that, you know, if you choose to engage with everything, you're never going to have time to engage with everything, I guess. It's impossible. So you have to pick and choose. Now, that brings me to another driver of change that you discuss is big data. And so it made me wonder, like, how do engaged leaders kind of combine using data with stories, with authenticity? I mean, it, so it seems like things, I, there are things that go together, but it may be sometimes they're hard things to put together. And then also, how do you figure out how to use data and ask the right questions? I mean, use it well, because there's so much data. We could have as much data as we want these days, but it's really about how you use it and which data you're using. You know, I, my, my colleague Susan Ellinger does a lot of work with, what do you do with all this big data anyways? And one of the things that we often talk about is, it's not about amassing the biggest data store that's hard. That's actually pretty easy. We can, we can put it together. The hard part is asking the right questions so you know what data to get and also what are the things that you're hoping to answer. 
And those questions are, again, driven by your strategic goals. So one of your goals might be we're trying to break into a new audience, into a new marketplace. Then the big data you want is, well, what is that marketplace doing? What are the people that are doing? What are they saying to each other? What do they care about? What motivates them? What are their psychographics? look like? How do they talk about our brand? What are the things that they're talking about our competition? All of those very specific questions, you can now start saying, well, what is the data I need to help me make those kinds of decisions? How do I get the right data so I know what people are thinking about so I can begin a relationship with them? Now, is there a specific platform or a specific type of data that you think is being overlooked by a lot of leaders that maybe they should be paying more attention to? I think the unstructured data is probably the most powerful one. And it's unstructured data being just a commentary that exists on particular topics like on Twitter, on Facebook, LinkedIn, even internally inside of your organization. How well can you listen? And I talk about listening at scale, where you're no longer just listening with your ears one by one to the customers, but you're listening with your eyes because you can read a lot faster. And it's a skill of feeling comfortable sort of scanning and dipping in, it is not even close to being statistical. But you get a feel, you get a sense and a tone and a pulse for what's happening in the marketplace and inside your own company. And this takes, it, 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 this takes seconds, it takes minutes throughout the day. to just log in, go into your Twitter panel, into your dashboards, into your internal social network, and just scroll through a couple of the feeds. See what you find. And I would think that, like, Doing that and doing that well would also really require you to kind of let go of a certain amount of, like, what you think the narrative is. I mean, I just thinking about, like, I, my past life was as a newspaper reporter, and one of the things I always thought was most important is listening to a source without thinking about what I thought the story was going in because it could be something completely different. And I would think that's also important when leaders are trying to do this. I mean, that they have to kind of forget the narrative they have in their heads or what they thought it was and sort of be open to it being something different. I think it's the open. I don't think that they necessarily have to give it up. They have to keep that in perspective, saying, this is my point of view. Can I validate it? Or is there something else that I need to understand and work into that point of view and adjust it, modify it, or completely change it? Can I actually verify the fact that this truth that I think is the world actually exists? And there's nothing better than knowing what's out there. I, I, I talk to CEOs all the time, and they say the hardest thing for them to get at is the truth. What is really going on out there? Because it's so fuzzy. They're so distant from that. They, they have all these layers between them and the employees and the front lines and customers out in the stores and on locations. This allows them to see the truth, unvarnished, unpolished, raw, and they crave it. Now, you discuss, as part of the book, you discuss you have a worksheet for kind of creating this digital transformation plan. Could you talk a little bit about the major attributes of that and how you would recommend readers kind of combine this with what they would learn from the book? Yes, the the worksheet is chapter by chapter building up what your plan should look like. And it always starts with your objectives. What are you trying to achieve? Every leader I know is very clear about what their goals are. And so write those down, usually between three and five goals the top goals we're trying to achieve, and then the measurements of how would you know that you actually achieved it. It doesn't have to necessarily be numbers. Um, it could be a, a description of the current state and the future state, but how would you know that you're actually achieving that goal? Then looking at listening 
at scale, sharing to shape, and engaging to transform, what are the things you can do in those three areas to help you achieve those goals? It's a really simple worksheet. But the difference here is this is not about specific channels. This is not about starting with the technologies first. It's really starting with your goals and then saying, how can these activities be done to achieve those goals? For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.